is uh, right here, right? Y'all have smartphones. Do you have a Bible on your smartphone? Come on, people. You should have a Bible. Of all the resources that you could have on, you should have a Bible. You could actually have a catechism and uh, the whole uh, um, Lutheran confessions on here, too. Um, but uh, a Bible would be good to be getting on with if you don't have one of those. Uh, and while you're doing that, I want to tell you a story. Um, I, heard, I heard this story a long time ago. So if anybody's heard this before and you know where it came from, please let me know. Um, but it's a story of a medical student. Uh, probably back around the late 1800s, um, and they were doing an autopsy. This was this is pretty standard stuff in medical school, right? You have to watch to see the parts of the body. Am I right about that? Okay, I just want to make sure. And, uh, and so he, he's standing there while the professor is doing the work and explaining uh, the, the systems of the body and showing what we look like on the inside. And this medical student is just in awe just amazed as he's looking at the, the, the lungs and the heart and, you know, seeing how, you know, the air comes in and then goes through the blood into the circulatory system and, and just, you know, thinking about the digestive system and the complexity of, of how this all works. He's just, just amazed at God's creative power. And afterwards, he says to his professor, that was just so amazing. And the professor responded, what? It's just a body. And I remember that that student says, I learned a lot from that professor, but from that moment on, I despised him because he could not see the wonder and the glory in his own subject. Well, today is Trinity Sunday, and I think that we are in a similar type of a position where we might make the same kind of a mistake. You know, there are 52 Sundays in pretty much any given year, right? 51 of those Sundays are related to events they're, they're always connected to uh, the gospel lesson. And we're telling stories of, about Jesus, you know, for almost all of them. Uh, one exception is last Sunday. We talked about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, another exception would be uh, Reformation Sunday when we talk about the reclamation of the gospel. But these, these are historic events. These are, these are stories of things that took place. We have one Sunday in the church here where we focus on a doctrine the doctrine of the Trinity. You could read the Bible cover to cover. I encourage you to do that. Uh, but you will not find the word Trinity or triune in there. If you look at the portion of the uh, small catechism that Luther himself wrote, you won't find the word Trinity in there either. Not because we don't believe that God is three in one, because we do, but because this word Trinity and this word triune, it's, it's us trying to express what the Bible says about God. You know, and so we, we did the Athanasian Creed, which, you know, once a year, right? And that's enough. It's a, it's a mouthful. And basically what was going on is there was this teacher at the time, a pastor uh, by the name of Arius, who was teaching that Jesus really wasn't God. 
Certainly not God in the same way that the Father is God. You know, because he's the Son of God. And so he must have been, you know, begotten so he can't be eternal. There's a beginning point there. So he can't be God in the same way that God is God. That's actually pretty logical, right? But is that what the scriptures say about Jesus? No. And so a council got together and they, they, they wrote this out. And they're like trying to be really look deep at this topic and, and to look closely, kind of like an autopsy, kind of like dissecting the Trinity and saying, OK, we have this part over here. So we understand this work of the father over here and creating and, and, and you know, all of the work of preserving creation. And over here, we, we see the second person of the Trinity that we call the Son uh, because, well, Jesus was born. And that's how he comes to us. And we see the work that he did to bring salvation to us by dying for us on the cross and rising again to defeat death. And, oh, there's this, this Holy Spirit. And, and we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we see that he came at Pentecost. We, we understand he creates faith, that he's at work in, in, in baptism to bring forgiveness, to wash our sins away. He's, he's at work in the Lord's Supper so that when we come up here, we're not just receiving bread and wine, but we're receiving Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, I, okay, so now I understand what God's like. I got them all figured out. And that's the danger. That we would somehow, by studying the parts, think that we've really figured out the whole. And if we get to that point, we're kind of like that professor. Yeah, this is just how God is. He's three in one. Duh. Get over yourself. And then we miss the glory of God's fullness. How Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are so united. And they do glorious and wonderful things all together because of this unity. And, and as we start reading through the scriptures, the different things that, that we talk about, like creation, we will notice that it's not just the Father who's doing the work there, but all three persons of the Trinity. Oh, and salvation... Oh, all three persons of the Trinity are there, too. Oh, bringing faith to us. Yeah, completely unified in that work as well. Because our God is he's just amazing. And so when we look and we see who God is, I think that we can learn something from Psalm 8. The psalm that's appointed for today. We read part of it in the opening sentences. The psalm that begins this way. Oh, Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. You know, I was looking at this passage uh, in, in the original Hebrew, and, and I think that if I were to retranslate it, um, I, I could do this a lot more economically. Wow! Because that's really what he's saying. He's looking at God and just going, wow. Look at who you are. Look at what you've done. Your glory is higher than anything that I've experienced in, in, in this world. And, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the first time the Lord appears is in all caps, right? If you didn't notice that, you can look at the screen and it's right there. 
What's that all about? Well, what that's all about is when you read the Old Testament and you see the word Lord in all caps, that's actually God's proper name. So remember when Moses is at the burning bush and God speaks to him from the burning bush and he says, um, oh, I'm going to go back to the, your people. And what if they ask who sent me? Tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. That's what's underneath that. It's kind of, kind of church code. I just broke the code for you. Anytime you see that in there, that's God's name. Yahweh would be the, 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 the right way to say it. The I am who I am. This, by the way, is why Jesus got in trouble in our gospel lesson. Before Abraham was, I am. Oh, he just said he's God. And so the people said, let's pick up rocks and throw them at him. Because people should not claim to be God. Except that Jesus is God. And David is thinking about God and he's saying, oh, what a God we have. A God who is is everything, and he's above the heavens, and, and his glory just fills everything. He says, out of mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. I'm always amazed how God chooses the weak things of the world and the, the foolish things of the world to shame the strong and the wise. And this is what this is about. There are real enemies that are at work in this world. There are real dangers. And God overcomes them all. Not by coming in and you know, flexing his muscles or by squashing uh, those enemies, but by working through the weakness and the foolishness of Jesus' death on a cross, of an empty tomb, the message given to a handful of people to spread that message around the world. Talk about a weak start. Wouldn't you think that the God of the universe would be like, boom, right there he is. Look, I raised him from the dead. Instead, he entrusts the message to some women and some men who carried that message all the way around the world. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes and infants, God overcomes the powers of darkness in this world as they declare Jesus' victory, a victory that comes through death and then his resurrection. And he goes on and it says, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the depths of the seas. So David's looking around and he's looking at the world and he's just in awe that not only is God God, but God thinks about him. He's mindful of him. Now, 
If you look at the translation that's up there on the screen, it, it takes those, those masculine pronouns and it makes them uh, more gender neutral, which on the whole, uh, I think is fine because most of the time when you run into those words, you know, it's speaking of mankind or humanity, not just, you know, man. Um, the, uh, the, the, it is a singular here in the text. And I think that there's something else that's going on that's actually important so when it says, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you think of him. Does anybody here remember what Jesus' favorite name for himself was through the Gospels? He calls himself the son of man. And so what's happening in this text is not only is David in awe of what God has done, but God is working through David to proclaim an amazing message that God is so mindful of us that Jesus becomes one of us. That the Son of Man comes to bear our sins, to be our Savior. And as we think about creation and wondering what's our place in all of this, and then we think about Jesus as our Savior. Wow! Who are we? What are we, what are we for? That God would, would think so highly of us. You know, I've noticed that over the years, sometimes when people talk about, you know, why did God create people? One of the pat answers I get is, he needed somebody to worship him. How narcissistic is that? God makes people so they'll worship him. I think that God had a different vision in mind. I think that he creates us because God is love. And he is so full of love as he deals within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that this love is just brimming over. That he decided, I want somebody else to pour this out on. I want someone to bless and to share all the goodness that is God with them. And so when you look at how God works throughout the scriptures, whether it's creating us or saving us, or when the Spirit comes and dwells within us, it's all about bringing that love into our lives. It's all about Him acting for us and not what we can bring to Him. And again, I think you translate this whole thing with just, wow, this is our God. And David ends the whole thing. He says, Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think there is real value in studying closely the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and looking at the things that they do. But we must never lose the majesty of the three-in-one God who loves us, redeems us, makes us his own. That's the God we get to share as we live in faith and in hope together, but as we also go out into the world and share the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen.